Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail. And we welcome you to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, our award-winning weekly podcast. Please visit womenover70.com and consider joining Aging Reimagined Circle, our sustaining membership fund, so we may continue to inspire women to age with courage, curiosity, and creativity. Members enjoy monthly programming and probing discussions, and we hope to see you there. And today we're so excited to be talking with Dr. Marianne Cooper to hear about her important work. Dr. Marianne Cooper, age 74, was an early pioneer in emergency medicine who trained as an emergency physician in the 1970s. She developed a specialty in lightning science. Her work has been recognized in, in numerous ways, fellowships, awards, memberships on national societies and governing boards research grants, consultations, many publications. She's the subject of countless media interviews and documentaries. Marianne retired from the University of Illinois in 2009 and has continued her groundbreaking work. She's founder and managing director of African Centers for Lightning and Electromagnetics Network, a nonprofit dedicated to reducing deaths, injuries, and property damage from lightning across Africa. And Marianne is active internationally with many other lightning safety programs around the world. So, Marianne, welcome to Women Over 70. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> so just give us some background, context, what you what kind of drew you into the field of emergency med medicine and then your specialty in lightning science. It seems like a, okay. a rather uncommon field for, for anyone, including women. Uh, emergency medicine is not that uncommon for women. It's a very good area of medicine. Um, it allows you to, um, you can trade shifts. You can always be with your kids. I never missed a single, um, between my husband and I, uh, we never missed a single outing for our kids or recital or performance or anything because I could always trade other docs because they had families too. So, mm -hmm. so that's a misconception. It's a great area. Um, number two, uh, you ask, or number one, you ask, how did I get interested in emergency medicine? It was a very new field back then. It was not accepted as a, a specialization area yet. Um, for all of your uh, viewers and listeners, they'll remember the Marcus Welby show, right? Uh, where, uh, you know, uh, it wasn't very realistic. You handle more than one patient a week like he did. Uh, but, uh, it was still, as a doctor, I wanted to be able to handle uh, or take care of or at least start care for um, just about any kind of case that came into me. Mm -hmm. um, some people like to have a very narrow specialty and not a lot of doubt, uh, perhaps, you know, in a very specific yes. area of specialization. Um, I really wanted to be a generalist. And uh, that's one of the things emergency medicine allowed me to do. Uh, patients come into the emergency department. They're not labeled uh, with a diagnosis. You have to figure out what's going on. Um, you have to stabilize them, figure out what the next step of care is. Um, you really, even it, since it's, even though it's a very short um, relationship, you still develop a very deep relationship. Patients will tell you things that they never talk about in other situations. 
Uh, and you develop, hopefully you develop a deep, uh, a trust where they are trusting you to do the best for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a, it's an incredible privilege to be able to do that and to care for people in situations which to them are often very frightening, very, um, um, unexpected, um, full of emotion, full of, uh, fear. And it, it's a privilege to have been able to do this all these years. And why lightning? Why did, how did that become a specialty? Okay. Um, as an academic, as a university person, you're required, uh, you're expected to have an area of research. Um, there was a high voltage electrical industrial accident to a distant relative before I started medical school. And the fact the family asked me all these questions. Of course, I didn't know anything. I hadn't started medical school yet. Finally, six or seven years later, as a senior emergency medicine resident, you're required to give a lecture, if you will, on an, an area. And it was finally time that I had uh, the time to look up uh, electrical injuries, worked with a couple of the uh, burn units where I was training in Cincinnati, uh, and put together a lecture on electrical injuries. Mm -hmm. And that was fairly uh, unusual at that point. So I was asked to give the, the lecture several times. Somebody held up their hand at one point and said, but oh, what happens with lightning? Is it the same? I'm I don't know, you know, I don't know. That was before there were any emergency medicine textbooks or online information or internet. So I went home to my textbooks and I looked it up in the surgery textbook and there was nothing in the surgery book. I looked it up in the internal medicine book. There was one sentence. Okay. So I started pulling the literature, uh, the cases, and found out that this one guy reported one case, another doc reported a couple cases, but nowhere did I know what, as an emergency doc, I could tell a family if their son was brought into the emergency department, hit by lightning, was he going to live? Was he going to die? What kind of complications? Where do we go from here? And so I started coding all of those cases. I did a lot of work with the paramedics back then, too. Um, and we, it was a very active lightning season in Cincinnati and I had five or six cases of my own, which was very unusual. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just coded them for everything in my ignorance. I didn't, I didn't know anything about it. Um, did they have burns? Where were they? Did they have a seizure? Did they have a cardiac arrest? Did they, you know, anything I could think of that I could get from the reports that was back in the key punch card days. <laughs> I talked somebody into taking my deck on the back of their research deck. And uh, we came up with four or five correlations. Um, if you have burns around the head, you're more likely to die. If you have burns in this area, something else is more likely to happen. The only cause of uh, death was cardiac in cardiac arrest at the time of the injury. Excuse me. Um, even though a person might be resuscitated and brought into the, high, the hospital and in an ICU for two or three days. Before they were pronounced dead, the proximate cause was still the cardiac arrest at the time of the injury. So it even took me uh, uh, 15 or 20 years to figure out a couple of the correlations, but uh, mm -hmm. they still stand to this day. So, and that was a seminal paper back in 1980 in the first paper that addressed my question of what do I tell somebody? Very interesting. 
So, uh, so now you are you have your your nonprofit organization, and you're consulting all throughout Africa and probably other places as well. Um, why, why, why? Um, what, what's the mission for your nonprofit, and why Africa? Okay, there's a lot more to it than that. Over the years, um, I got involved with other nonprofits, including the Lightning Strike and Electric Shock Survivors Support Group. Uh, which has now been around for 33 years. Uh, how do you help the survivors? How do you prevent injuries? It's a whole lot better to prevent injuries than it is to take care of the families and the survivors uh, after the injury has occurred. And so I started working on prevention and started working internationally with that. Started working with the National Weather Service and NOAA uh, back in the late 90s, was a trainer for them, trainer for the meteorologists. Um, because, um, you know, meteorologists are constantly criticized for you missed the temperature by one degree or we had a half inch more rain or, well, this was a way I could teach them to save lives. Mm -hmm. Uh, this was a way that, uh, they would feel that the work that they did was important, uh, and to teach them, um, when they were doing their outreach and going out to the schools and things like that. What do you say to help people learn the behaviors that will prevent their injuries? Mm -hmm. So uh, working with NOAA, and we developed the Lightning Safety Week. Um, that uh, NOAA was uh, active with that from 2000 to 2015. Uh, in 2015, they um, changed the way they did safety things. And so the National Lightning Safety Council was, war was born out of that. That is still active. We've got the number of injuries, well, a number of deaths in the United States down to under 20 per year. For a population of 330 million people, that's pretty good. It's the best in the world, best record in the world for that. Um, as a result of that, uh, as I say, we sort of put ourselves out of business. So uh, some of my colleagues and I started working, uh, doing more work internationally in the lightning research um, realm uh, with the people all over the world who are were the ones who researched and wrote the standards for lightning protection and lightning safety. Uh, we've been very active with those people internationally now. Back in 2011, I was invited as the international expert, as an expert on lightning injuries, to a lightning meeting in Nepal. And at that meeting, they set the the people from the different countries alphabetically by a country. So I had Uganda on my right. I was from the United States. Zambia was on my left. Mm -hmm. And the gentleman from Uganda, very well-dressed, proper, impressive young man, um, got up and he was almost in tears. Um, he said, I found out that 75 of my fellow countrymen have been killed in just the last few months by lightning. And 18 killed, 18 children were killed at one school a month ago. And he had, he had kids that age. And when he came back and sat down, he said, I want to go back home and make, make a difference in this, but nobody will pay any attention to me when I'm back there. So we talked for a while and here I am, this American going, well, this is what we did. Okay. And um, 
to his credit, he went back and he got the organization founded. And then he twisted my arm. He said, you're retired. You have time to do this. So we started the organization in 2013, 2014, and um, have been working ever since. Now, the organization um, has nothing to do with medicine. It has to do with how do we do enough public education, enough professional education to decrease the injuries from lightning across the world, not just Africa, but certainly um, we've started in Uganda, and that's where we're doing most of our work at this point. I, in fact, I've just been called over to Uganda to meet the First Lady um, in late July, so that because she's head of the Ministry of Education, and of course, that's a lot of what we're doing is working with the schools. When you and I talked earlier, you, you mentioned that what the conditions that we have here in the United States, the way we can protect ourselves from lightning is not the same conditions that people in other parts of the world have. Can you expand on that a bit? Exactly. Thank you for that. Uh, it's very difficult for people to understand the kinds of risks that people have uh, in the developing world. Here in the United States, we're within a few feet um, of lightning safety, 99.99% of our lives. Um, if you're out in your backyard and you hear thunder, you can walk into your house. It's a safe location. If you're out shopping, uh, you can get into your car. A metal vehicle is a very safe location from lightning. But in sub-Saharan Africa, 90% of the, um, the buildings are not lightning safe. Uh, so people are at risk 365 days a year, 724, 365. Um, it doesn't matter whether they're walking to the market, whether they're out in the farms, whether they're sitting in a classroom in school. The schools are not protected. Um, and it's a tremendous, tremendous threat to life. Mm -hmm. What are, what are some of the things that you're able to advise them then about that, what they can do in their environment to be, protect themselves better? Very little. There's very little you can do when they're living in mud huts. And in, in, well, the housing in sub-Saharan Africa is still mud brick uh, with thatched roofs, which can catch fire when lightning hits. Um or sheet metal held down by a couple of rocks, you know, for the roof, that kind of thing. Their lightning protection standards were written by industrialized countries for industrialized nations. More than two-thirds of the world can't afford them. It would cost somebody five times what it costs them to build their home to protect it under those standards. So we're working, we're making it, the meeting I was at in Malaysia a month or so ago was amazing because one of the panel discussions was specifically about how can we change the standards? How can we look at local materials and see if those would work for lightning protection? So we're making an impact on the international community of the people who are writing these standards. Uh, they never realized what was going on in Bangladesh and, and Nepal and, and Uganda and Colombia and Venezuela and all the places that we're working at this point. Um, so there, there's two aspects to lightning injury prevention. One is the engineering aspect, and that's providing lightning protection for the buildings. We're making safe places that people can go into. Number two is the behavioral 
change that we do with public education. Well, if you can't, if you don't have the lightning safe buildings, it doesn't matter what you teach them to do because they don't have a safe place to go. If you teach them, if you have the safe buildings, but you don't teach them, then it doesn't matter. So those two things have to go hand in hand. It's a huge problem. You know, in the United States, it took us almost 30 years to get the death rate down to under 20 per year. Mm -hmm. I don't expect to see significant changes in the death rates and in lightning protection in my lifetime, but mm -hmm. we're getting it started. We have similar organizations now to what we're doing in Uganda um, for South Asia. There are eight nations that have banded together to work on the same kinds of things that we're doing. The Latin America Lightning Network has just started as well a few months ago. Primary things we're doing in Uganda is we're protecting schools. We found from our research that the number one area of injury, the most vulnerable uh, area of injury, were the kids in the schools. Schools in Uganda are not built one of these big buildings like you see where you sent your grandkids to middle school. They're built as uh, a string of three or four classrooms. Another uh, building might be the dormitory for the girls, another one for the boys, another one for the cooking, another one for administration, a couple more classroom buildings over here. So you have to protect each one of those buildings to make the children safe. How do you do that? How do we do that? <laughs> we have a design team of volunteers, um, including the fellow who was the chairman of the International Standards uh, Committee um, and helped write those standards. Um, he's on our design team. And we have different companies from around the world and, and some of our many wonderful, wonderful donors support this either by uh, sending um, volunteering lightning protection materials from their companies paying for the shipping uh we've got a donor right now in india how do we get the materials from his place to entebbe uganda and we've got another volunteer in the united states how do we get the materials over there we have to pay the shipping and then we have to pay the import costs which are 30 percent of the uh, the uh, cost mm -hmm. and then we send our team of, of trained uh, installers out to the schools, put the lightning protection system on the school. Lightning protection system has three different parts. It's the lightning rod, what you would call the lightning rod. Franklin invented it, still works. Something that will take the lightning after, the, after it's hit the lightning rod, takes it safely down around the building so that the people inside the building are safe. And then has a ring around each one of these buildings that then disperses the energy out away from where the children are in the classroom. Mm. Those are expensive. You know, it, it probably costs four or five times what the cost of the building is for us mm. to put our lightning protection system in there. But we've put enough of those around Uganda now that we can use them for training the engineers, the installers, the architects, the people who put in lightning protection. We have a uh, track record that we've established with the government of Uganda. That's why I'm meeting with the First Lady mm -hmm. to talk about how can we include the Ministry of Education in the work that we're doing with the Office of the Prime Minister that we've, we already have a relationship with. Um, 
you know, um, we've got a lot of work to do. What I'd like to do in our next phase is to do the education so that we go out to the, each of these schools, each of these school districts, and talk with the people, talk with the communities, teach them what they can do. The whole communities can go, the entire community can go to the school for safety. In fact, mm -hmm. there was one school that we were doing an installation in and we couldn't install on Sunday because each classroom had a different church meeting in it or a different group meeting in it on that Sunday. So we couldn't be up on the roof making all the noise. Um, so communities are, uh, schools are community centers mm -hmm. for uh, villages. Mm -hmm. um, so if we make it safe for their children, it's safe for the rest of their families to go to as well and the rest of their community to go to. It's it's not much compared to the, all of the land that's in Uganda, but it's the best we're doing, we can do. And it's a start. It's a start. You have to start somewhere. So. so as managing director, are you overseeing the training, the funding, the donations the how, how much of this is under you as a, i mean what kind of help do you have what kind of support do you have oh i'm chief cook and bottle washer as my mom <laughs> used to say okay um we have a one the only paid staff that we have we have four wonderful people in uganda and i wish i could pay them what they're worth um they're just great uh, we have a country coordinator there who is has a background in nonprofits and in finance so he's helping get keep the keep the money straight okay if you will um and he's great with people um it, we've got a gentleman who is just an amazing advocate and is a certified electrical installer at a at high level uh in the in Uganda so he does all of our school installations um but we've got a couple of other people just just great people then we've got volunteers from all over the world who help us with the designs, who um, are changing lightning safety in their own countries, okay, by doing studies on where what's happening with the population. You know, one of the things in changing, trying to change attitudes, lightning is the most common weather threat to life people around the entire world are faced with, often on a daily basis, often with no knowledge of how they can change their risk. Think about it. How many times have you been in a tsunami? Mm -hmm. How many times have you been in a hurricane? How many times have you been in a tornado? How many times have you seen lightning? Mm -hmm. Every time you hear lightning, every time you hear thunder, you're in the risk area, you're in the strike area for danger. But we have our safe houses. Our people in Africa don't have safety. So we're doing the best we can to piece by piece address this. So if any of our listeners want to get involved in some way or support your initiative, what could we do? What can oh, my do? goodness, that would be wonderful. We'll <laughs> welcome all kinds of volunteers. Um, lightning protection and safety is a very specialized area, and I can't expect people to, to know that, but they can support us by talking to their friends, helping us raise funds, um, uh, subscribing to the newsletter, um, spreading things on social media. Uh, we post all of the injuries for Africa 
Um, we have the largest database on lightning injuries in Africa uh, because we search them and, and post them every month in our monthly newsletter, which is published in four languages, by the way. Um, so, um, and is I would love to hear from people. Where, where, do they, where do they go? Is it ACLENet? Or is it an ACL, ACLENet.org? Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. There's my shirt logo. Yep. <laughs> ACLENet.org. Great. A terrific mission. It, Thank you. It really is. I, I When I was young, I knew a child who was hit by lightning. And it has stayed with me my entire life, that vision yeah. of that child being hit. Yes, we were all out. We were in a park. You and, saw it. And I saw it. I was right there. It, it was it's frightening. Very frightening. Yes. A lot of people have, you know, I've ridden up on ski lifts with people when I was younger, and, and the guy on the ski lift knows somebody who was hit by lightning. Mm -hmm. Taxi driver, when I was in Mexico, he said, yeah, the coach that I had in, in grade school for softball was killed by lightning when mm -hmm. we were out playing so softball. So mm -hmm. a lot of people have those stories. Sure. So, Marianne, in you know, the few minutes we have left, uh, is there anything that you'd like our audience to know about you outside of your cause-focused work? Anything about you as a more personal? Oh, my goodness. Um, I have a wonderful group of friends. God bless them. Um, um, if there's one thing that this organization has taught me, it's that all of the trials and tribulations that we go through when you're younger really train you up for what you can do at a later time. <laughs> this is what God built me to do. You know, maybe he built me to do all those other things in uh, all those other prior years, but this is what he built me to do. And um, like Jimmy Carter says, uh, you have one life and one chance to make it count. So I'm going to do what I can where I can. For as long as I can. Thank, thank you. That is thank a you. marvelous, wonderful way to to end note thank to you. end on. Thank you so much, Marianne. And just I don't think I mentioned Marianne. I think you live in River Forest, don't you? Or, or yes. Park, River Forest. River Forest. And uh, we became we were referred through the um, celebrating Seniors Week in Oak Park is how we connected with Marianne. So we're delighted about that so thanks for thank being you. with us thank you and thank you for what you do too i mean we old ladies have a lot to contribute to this world so, okay thank you okay bye-bye thank you for your loyalty because of you our numbers are growing all across the country and overseas and this is a good thing still we need more subscribers and reviews on apple play and youtube Support women over 70 and let your voice be heard. Help us change the conversation about women aging. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Thanks, Mary.